You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Good morning, everyone. I want to take you this morning on a brief journey back in time. Robin, on your mark. I want you to go back with me in time. It's 1978. It's Ballyfehan, where I grew up. It's the Sunday afternoon, Ballyfehan Kids Disco. And a song is in the charts. I didn't know what it meant at the time, but I know what it means now. It was such an important song. I bet you some of you begin to figure it out now. It's up there on the screen, isn't it? From their album, Night Flight to Venus. In 1978, an American band called Boney M came out and blew away the world with a whole new style of song. I belong where we sat down. Come on, get up and move it. childhood. Can you offer it up for Pastor Tom? That's the workout for the day going there. I want to see how many people would still be upright at the end of it. I remember that song in 1978, dancing as the sun came in the windows of Ballyfehan Community Centre. And we sang our hearts out and we danced our hearts out and we looked at the girls and the girls looked at us and then they looked away very quickly. But we stayed looking at them. And I didn't realize it at the time, but about seven years later, I would become a Christian. And all of a sudden, that song would mean something completely different to me. I remember going into a Christian church back in 1970 or 1986, which would have been, what, 11 years later? No, sorry, seven years later. Oh, my maths is all screwed up. Doesn't matter. Um, I remember going in there and they began to sing a song. I've taken my harp down from the willow tree. Does anybody remember this? I've taken my harp down from the willow tree. So I'm inside there and I'm singing this song. You new young Christian, not a clue what's going on. Big happy head, I've taken my heart down. Just happy to be a Christian. And then I discovered where this all comes from. A beautiful psalm, Psalm 137. I'm just going to read it for you very, very briefly. It says, Beside the rivers of Babylon... We sat down and wept when we thought of Zion, or Jerusalem. 
We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of the poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those happy songs of Jerusalem, they said. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in this pagan land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth and may I fail to remember you if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. O Lord, remember what they did. On the day the armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem. Destroy it, they yelled. Level it to the ground. O Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. I've been a Christian for 31 years and nobody has ever told me that that's their favorite verse. When you read that original song, when you read that original song, it's a lament, a mournful tale. You know what I love about the Bible? There's lots of grit in the Bible. It's not kind of, oh, I just have a lovely book with lovely thoughts that nothing ever bad is ever said in. These people were hurt and they were wounded captives and they longed for revenge. They longed for God to put it right what was done to them because when the Babylonians overthrew the city of Jerusalem, that is exactly what the Babylonians did to the Jewish uh, children. They smashed their heads against the rocks. They destroyed the city. And so when they were captives in the city of Babylon, they prayed and they hoped that one day Babylon would be overthrown. I want to take you back on another journey now. And this is a journey back to my birthday. My birthday about a few years before I was born. The 12th of October, 539 BC. I want to take you on a journey because on the night of the 12th of October in 539 BC, the great empire of Babylon was overthrown. It was cast down. Initially, everything seemed fine, but it was taken by this man. Well, not this man, obviously, but a man called Cyrus. Cyrus was the king of the Persians. Modern day Iran was where he came from. He was the king of the Persians and he came in and he overthrew this a great empire of Babylon. He put Belshazzar and all of his nobles to the sword. He dominated the world history. His actions dominated world history for the following 200 years until the rise of Alexander the Great. He was the ruler of the one and only superpower in the world that spread all the way from the Bosphorus Straits in Turkey in the west all the way to the Hindu Kush in the east. He went all the way from India right across to Turkey. That was the size of his empire. He ruled it. And in the Bible, he is referred to as God's shepherd. What I want to talk to you about this morning is about how God sometimes uses people, even, even surprisingly to us, who don't know him to carry out his will and purpose for our good and for his best in our lives. You know, sometimes we can go through life having the idea that we are under siege and that, we are, that everyone is our enemy. And yes, the world is our enemy in, in many senses. But we can go through the world thinking that these people are out to get us, but they're not out to get us. This guy, Cyrus, was not a believer. I want to refer back to a passage of scripture that is written about him. This was written about him by the prophet Isaiah. He said this, and if you have the stone in Cafe Church, you might just throw up the passage from Isaiah chapter 44, verse 26. 
It's not a long piece. It says, I carry out my predict- the predictions of my prophets, says the Lord. By them I say to Jerusalem, people will live here again. And to the towns of Judah, you will be res- built. I will restore all your ruins. When I speak to the rivers and say, dry up, they will be dry. And when I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. He will certainly do as I say. He will command Rebuild Jerusalem. He will say, restore the temple. Before I go any further, I just want to say this. These words were written by the prophet Isaiah 150 years before Cyrus came to power in Babylon. 150 years before he came to power, Isaiah the prophet called him by name. He named him and said, this is the man who is going to restore the temple. This is the man who's going to rebuild the city. And at the time of Isaiah, the temple hadn't been overthrown and the city hadn't been ruined yet. So Isaiah was talking about events that were going to happen at least a hundred years hence. When I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. And this is what the Lord says to Cyrus. His anointed one, whose right hand he will empower. Before him, mighty kings will be paralyzed with fear. Their fortress gates will be opened, never to shut again. This is what the Lord says, I go before you, Cyrus, and I level the mountains. I smash down the gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. And what you don't realize is that in all of this story is effectively the story of how we overthrew the city of Babylon on the night of the 12th of October, 539 BC. Cyrus was a good general. He diverted the river Euphrates, which flowed right through the city of Babylon. He diverted it off into a marshy area so that his troops could walk right into the city. And they walked through the gates of bronze. Uh, Babylon had gates of bronze. They walked right through those gates. They don't, the, the bars that kept the, gate, the, the iron gates closed was made of uh, kept the bronze gates closed was made of iron. And he smashed through it. He didn't even have to smash it. The gates were left wide open. They thought they were safe. Sure, there's a river outside. He goes on to say this, and I will give you the hidden treasures, hidden in the darkness, the secret riches. I will do this so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. And why have I called you for this work? Why did I call you by name? When you did not know me, it was for the sake of my servant Jacob, Israel, my chosen one. And he finishes off by saying, I am the Lord, there is no other God. I, I have equipped you for battle, though you don't even know me. So all the world from east to west will know there is no other God. I am the Lord and there is no other. I create the light and I make the darkness. I send the good times and the bad times. I am the Lord and the one who does these things. So here, 150 years before this man comes to power, Isaiah the prophet is naming him as the one that God is going to use to overthrow the empire of Babylon. Nobody had ever heard of Cyrus. Cyrus who? Who are you talking about? Nobody ever heard of Cyrus when Isaiah was talking like this. Nobody even realized the Persian empire was rising 150 years before the fall of Babylon. It was a much, much smaller empire over to the east. Nobody paid an awful lot of notice of what was going on in Persia at the time that these words were written. And when you look at these words and examine the things that are written down, the Lord says some very, very interesting things about this pagan king. 
He doesn't know the Lord. He has no idea who God is. He doesn't know the God of the Jews. And yet the Lord says all of these things about him. He calls him my shepherd. He calls him my anointed one. Believe it or not, the word that's used here in Isaiah is the word Messiah. The anointed one. The one who is sent to deliver. He says of him that the, fate, the fortress gates will open, never to be shut again. He will smash the gates of bronze. The Lord says, I will go before you and dry up the rivers. He said, I will give you the treasure that's hidden. And I have called you by name. I have equipped you for battle, the Lord said, even though you have not known me. Why? For the sake of my people. You see... If you read the Bible from cover to cover, you will understand that the real message that's driven behind the Bible is that God is in control. God is actually orchestrating. He is the great conductor of history. He's causing empires to rise and to fall, kings to come to the throne and then to be thrown down. And he's doing that, why? So that he can deal with his people, so that he can deal with you, so that he can deal with with me and he calls this man who is a complete stranger to him who knows nothing about him and he calls him to do this now up to this point up to the point of about 150 years ago maybe a little bit less 150 years ago there was no historical record reliable historical record of the events that are laid out here in Isaiah and subsequently in Ezra which we'll look at in a minute and then in 1879, at, a, at an archaeological dig in Babylon, they discovered some, an interesting piece of, uh, an interesting discovery. They found, discovered an amazing artifact, and it's called the Cyrus Cylinder. And the Cyrus Cylinder is about the size of a rugby ball, even though it looks a lot bigger there. And you'd expect a great empire would have a great big yoke of a thing that would record things. But the Cyrus Cylinder is effectively the testimony or the, rec the record of what happened when Cyrus came to power. It's written in cuneiform script, one of the earliest forms of script known. It's known as the Akkadian language, or Aramaic actually was the original language of Babylon. It's written in that language, and in that language it says, I... Cyrus, I'm king of all kings and lord of all lords. Hmm, where have I heard that before? I have arisen to power and this is what I say. I say to the captive peoples that I have taken, that have been taken hostage by Babylon, go home. You may go back to your land. You may rebuild your temples. In actual fact, would you mind praying for me as you go? Because Cyrus was a really, really smart guy. You see, up to that point, empires worked like this. Like the Babylonian Empire worked like this. And I'll get, I'll get to it now in a second. You'll, you'll understand in a second. This is how empires worked. Babylon comes to power. Nebuchadnezzar, for instance, takes over. He's the king of Babylon. This is, about, this is going back a little bit further. We're 100 years earlier than this. Nebuchadnezzar's king of Babylon. He goes and he takes over land. He moves into, into Judah. For instance, he defeats the Egyptian armies, the armies of Pharaoh Necho in 605 BC. And then he moves into Judah. And what does he do? He takes captive its nobles. He destroys its temples and he breaks the spirit of the people. He breaks their will. He breaks their spirit and he takes them away to his own land. That was the way it was done up until Cyrus arrives. And Cyrus turns out to be a really clever Trevor because he understands what makes people tick. And Cyrus decides, when I come to power, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to let everybody worship the God that they want to worship. I'm going to send all of the captives home and I'm going to ask them to pray for me that I would have a long life. 
See, Cyrus clicked. He knew something was going on inside of people, that they are dying to connect with a creator to a supernatural being, whatever it is. And if you're here this morning, I somehow suspect that you're like that too. And he said, go and worship your God. And he goes one better. He says, here's the deal. I'll give you a few quid to rebuild the temple when you get there. Cyrus was a really, really clever guy. You see, you're saying, what's all this got to do with me? 539 BC, 605 BC. Come on, Michael, get out of it. 1978 singing in the disco. Come on, what's it got to do with me? Here's what it's got to do with you. The God who did all that is still doing it for you. The God who did all that is still doing it for you. The God who sent Cyrus to set his people free is still sending Cyruses into your life and my life every day. The book of Proverbs records this. It says that the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. And it goes on to say, he guides it wherever he pleases. See, when you sit before somebody who's making a decision in your life, when you sit before an authority, whether it's a, whether it's a, whether it's a president, a prime minister, a primary school principal, a psychologist, a, 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 a medical decision maker, you think that they're just doing their own thing. And sometimes they are. They're acting out of their own self-will. But God says, no, though they are acting in their own self-will, they're actually doing my bidding. I turn the hearts of kings. I am the one who appoints authority over you and in your life. I am the one who grants favor to you through these authorities. Jesus himself acknowledged when he was speaking to Pilate, Pilate said to him, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you? Don't you know I have the power to kill you? And Jesus responded quite simply. Jesus said, you have, would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. From above. From above. It was given to you from above. And we know that the scriptures testified that the events that happened to Jesus were not some unlikely, unfortunate tragedy that happened, but they were the pre-planned purposes of God being worked out step by step for the redemption of his people. And that is us, that we might be redeemed. There wasn't any accident. There wasn't any incident that God was not in control of. This was God's plan being worked out for the betterment of our lives so that we could be brought back, so that we could be redeemed and if you look in the bible you see a list of oh my goodness i mean talk about lousy characters you have people like Sennacherib, the king of the assyrians you have nebuchadnezzar the king of babylon you have pharaoh ramesses who who confronted uh, whom who moses confronted you have the philistines then you have all of these people who were god's instruments they were acting for god's plans and purposes though they thought they were acting for their own then you have cyrus of course whom we're referring to xerxes artaxerxes and darius all of these these guys turned out to be, surprise, surprise, acting out God's plans and God's wills. Because God causes the people who are in power to rise to power. And that can be a bit troubling because some pretty nasty people rise to power, don't they? And yet it says God appoints the authorities. Paul writes in Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, he says, Submit therefore to the government authorities and those in authority over you. You mean to the Romans, Paul? The slaughtering, murdering, crucifying, killing, whipping, enslaving, brutalizing Romans. Yes, says Paul, submit to them because their position of power is appointed by God. 
And God uses the Roman Empire to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Romans think they're serving themselves, but God is the great conductor of history. And he's the great conductor of events in your life and in my life. And so Cyrus comes to power and he issues a decree. And the decree is recorded in Ezra chapter 1. It says, in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given. He stirred the, hearts of Cy- the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing. I want you to listen to this and send it throughout the kingdom. This is what Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people can go to Jerusalem and Judea to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel. And may your God be with you. And wherever the Jewish remnant is found, listen to this, let their neighbors contribute towards their expenses. Would anyone say amen? Amen. By giving them silver and gold and supplies for the journey and livestock, as well as the voluntary offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. So he sends them back. Doesn't, he doesn't just set them free. He sends them back and he makes sure that they've got plenty for the job. Silver and gold from the neighbors. It actually goes on to say that they've got cattle and sheep as well. Sends them back for the journey. Livestock and voluntary offerings. He sends them back to the temple of God. Not only that, just before they're going out the door, Cyrus says, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Take with you the articles that Nebuchadnezzar stole from the temple. And say they go back with thousands of gold and silver articles which Nebuchadnezzar had stolen from the temple in, in Jerusalem. God sent them back. He sent them back and he provided for them. The great evangelist and missionary Hudson Taylor said this, God's work is done God's way and will not lack God's means of support. God's work is done whose way? God's way. It's done God's way. And God's way was the way that it was at work here for Cyrus. And God's way was the way it was at work for for, him. Son of Arif, and God's way was the way it was work for Nebuchadnezzar. And these people were all referred to as God's servants, though they didn't even know him. They were working out his plans and his purposes. About 10 days ago, I was facing a situation myself at, in my own home, in my own situation, my own life, where I was praying I, needed, I really needed a breakthrough. I needed favor from the Lord about a situation. And I was facing into a, a situation that was very troubling and very difficult for me personally. And it was a situation in which I realized that the people I was up against weren't necessarily for me. I really felt that they were against me. And yet I was having to go in and meet them and discuss situations that affected my family directly. I had to discuss situations with them. But on the morning before I went into this meeting, it was a very important meeting to me. I was praying and I was fasting. And and that's just, I'm just telling you. I was praying and I was fasting. And I was humbling myself before God. And I said, Lord, I really need your favor. And I read this passage from Isaiah chapter 44. And I read 44 and I went on to read 45. And I felt God speak to me. That the people that I was meeting were going to do God's bidding. They weren't going to do their own bidding. And however God's bidding works out, I'm happy with that in my life. Because whatever comes into my life, whatever of my desires, whatever my plans come to pass, I can honestly tell you, what I really want to come to pass is God's plans in my life. I don't want to climb Mount Everest because God hasn't called me to climb Mount Everest. I don't want want to climb Mount Everest anyway. I would love maybe to have been 
I, actually, I won't tell you about my... I would love to have been something, okay? Something. You just have to think about it for a while. There are things that I would love to have been, but what I really want to be is what God wants me to be. What I really want to come to pass is God's plans to come to pass in my life. And if God uses people who don't know him to do his bidding, I'm good with that. Are you okay with that? Because God never forgets us. Would anyone say amen? He never forgets us. We think, oh no, this situation is lost. No, it's not lost. We think, oh no, what's going to happen? No, it's not like that. God is in control. He is working out his plan. Here he says to Isaiah, Isaiah 43, chapter 1, verse 1 says this. Don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Does that make anybody feel warm on the inside? It makes me feel warm on the inside. I have called you by name. My mother had a nickname for me. My friends had a nickname for me. But the Lord called me by name. You know a curious thing that happened to me? My mother used to call me Mike or Mikes more, more often. My friends called me Dunny. I had many other nicknames. I had Duracell, Copperhead Top, back in the day when I actually had a Copperhead Top. I had lots of lots of nicknames. But when I walked into a Christian church years and years ago, 31 years ago, I met the, man, I met the first man I met when I went in the door. I was introduced to him as Mike. And he said, hello, Michael. You're very welcome. And the minute he said my name, I knew I'd come home. Isn't that strange? I knew that these were a different brand of people I was dealing with. They call me by my name. And though you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. And it goes on to say, though you go through the fire, I will be with you. Even when events don't look like they're going to work out great, I will be with you. Even when some evil king like Cyrus rises to the throne, I will be with you. You see, you can think to yourself that, oh no, the children of Israel were, were, were in, were off in Babylon, and then all of a sudden, something happened. Guys, you know something? The Bible doesn't know anything about all of a sudden. All of a sudden doesn't really kind of happen to God's people in the Bible. What happens is what God had planned. What happened is what God had purposed. Now sometimes we get an all of a sudden when the enemy comes against us, our people come against us, our situations suddenly go upside down. But God knew that was going to happen. He knew that was going to happen. We're stuck inside this thing called time. He's outside of time. He's already in tomorrow. He's already in next year. When he spoke through Isaiah, he was already 150 years hence. He knew what he was doing. Now I want to look at two scriptures. I've looked at them before and it's okay if we look at them again because reminder, or I should say repetition is the mother of learning. So repeating a scripture is a very good thing to do to get something into our heads. You see, God is at work in your situation. And God is at work in your situation whether you know it or not, whether you realize it or not. When you go to sleep at night, God is at work in your situation. When you get up in the morning, God is at work in your situation. Regardless of who you face, what hurdles, what hassles, or what hipsters you have to put up with, God is in control of your situation and is at work. Paul wrote this to the Romans in Romans 8.28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Anyone say amen? Because like, we don't really like that now at all. I mean, I just, what I really want, like I said, I want my dreams. If I could only have my dreams, I would be so happy. If I could just have my dreams and I would just be so fulfilled and everything. Like, 
No, you wouldn't. I said it last Tuesday night. If everything I prayed for came to pass in my life, I would be one miserable puppy. I can tell you that. Because sometimes we don't know what we're praying for. But we do have this confidence that Paul wrote. There is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Let me read this verse for you again. So that you may tune your ear and your heart to it. We know that God causes the odd thing every now and again to work out. Isn't that right? That's what it says in the Greek. God causes the odd kind of sort of thing, some things that happens, God works out really like. He causes them to work against each other for the bad of those who hate God. That's not what it says. Let's, I want you to take this verse into your soul because, you know, when you look at your trial and your trouble and your situation, next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it is that you face, you've got to remember that we know that God causes everything to work together for those who love God and are called according to whose purpose? Whose purpose? Caused to his purpose for them. Because God is working it out. The wheels of history were turning. Great empires are rising and falling. Kings were coming to power and being overthrown. Why? Because God was working out his great purpose for his people. And Jesus came and he was struck down. He was crucified by the Romans and he rose again on the third day. Why? Because God was working out his great purpose for his people. That's what he was doing. And I love this. I love. Paul then goes on to say this. He points out that, you know, really God is in control. You know how it says of Cyrus, I open doors before you that no one can close? This is what Paul, he puts it this way, he says, What shall we say then about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? If God is for you, who can ever be against you? If God is in favor of you or is giving you his favor, who can be against you? It's a rhetorical question, but it's also a reasonable question to ask. Could, would Nebuchadnezzar, would, would, would I was going to say Ban Ki-moon, poor old Ban Ki wouldn't harm a fly, I'd say. Would, would any of these people be against you? Would anybody be against you if God is for you? Hmm. I don't know, I suppose, like... Is there any chance we could do some other message this morning? Because I know you don't really like this one. <laughs> if God is for you, who can be against you? Okay, if anybody can think of somebody who can be against you in the sense that their power over you can be exercised to your detriment, would you put up your hand? You see? There is no one. Who can have a power over you if God is for you? There is no one who can overthrow God's plans and purposes for your life if you love him and you work according to his purposes. Would anyone say amen? amen. But I tell you this. I know there are people and there are situations in this room this morning. People who really need to see a captive set free. And that was the real purpose of the rise of Cyrus. He was there to set the captives free. And every one of us knows a captive. And some of us here feel as though we are captives. Sometimes we're captives in situations not of our own making. Sometimes we're captives trapped in circumstances not of our own making. I want us to pray this morning that a Cyrus would arise in our lives. 
That God would influence Osiris for his best purpose to come to pass in our lives. That Osiris would arise as he has already arisen in many of our lives already. That Osiris would arise to cause the release of the captives of those that you feel need to be set free. And maybe it's a situation where you need favor with a principal, a prime minister, a president, a physiotherapist. I'm trying to stick with the peas if I can. Maybe you need that particular influence at this time. Maybe you need at this time, particularly, God to influence the heart and change the mind and change the direction of somebody who makes decisions in your life. I want to pray that this morning because God is in control. And if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Would anyone say amen? amen? I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to ask the worship band to come up. We're going to sing a piece from the song, Our God. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise, we sing. And then we sing this verse. May God open doors for us. Into the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you There's none like you Into the darkness Into the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you None like you Our God is greater say Lord let your purpose and your plans come to pass Lord send a Cyrus that we may be set free Cyrus is a type of Jesus Christ we've already been set free from our sins well I'm talking about the specific situation where we need favor where we need God's favor to open a door to open a door to go through gates of bronze if you're in that situation this morning would you raise your hand we want to pray. Let's see your hands. 
Can I invite you to come to the front? We're going to pray together very briefly. Let's come up to the front. That's the culture. That's the way we do things here. You need favor this morning and you want to cry out for somebody who's a captive in your life. You know somebody who's a captive and you need them to be set free. We want to pray that the right person will arise in their lives. Somebody who would do God's bidding for God's purposes and God's plans and God's promises to come to pass. Let's pray. Can I invite you to lift that situation or that person before the Lord in your hands? Just let's lift it up before the Lord. Father in heaven, Jesus says in the book of Revelation, Behold, I was dead and I'm alive. And I'm alive forever. And I hold in my hands the keys of David. What I open, no man can shut. What I shut, no man can open, Lord. Lord, I thank you that our situations and the people that we pray for now are no mystery to you. They're no surprise to you, Lord. Nothing is happening here all of a sudden and unexpectedly, Lord. Nothing that you didn't expect is not coming to pass. Father in heaven, we bring our situations before you. And we ask you, Lord, that you would as it were, Lord, cause a Cyrus to arise in our situation, Lord. Somebody who will do God's bidding. When we sit or we stand before the people making decisions over our lives, Lord, I pray that they would do your bidding and not their own bidding, Lord Jesus. I pray that they would carry out your purposes and plans and not their purposes and plans, Lord. Lord, your word says you turn the hearts of kings. You turn the hearts of people in authority. Lord, I pray you would turn the hearts of the people in authority in our lives, in our situation, Lord Jesus. Give us grace and favor, Lord, in those situations, Lord. Lord, as you planned and called Cyrus by name 150 years before he arose, Lord. I pray, Lord, the person before whom we stand would realize their name is being called, Lord. Lord, we would realize that their name has been called by you. Come and set captives free. Come and bring favor into our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Can I invite us all to lift our hands? We're, just going, we're all going to pray for a second just before the guys sing for us. Lord, I pray for every one of us as we step out over the threshold into the coming week, Lord. I pray, Lord, that your hand would rest upon us, Lord. I pray much more importantly that your spirit would go before us, Lord, into every conversation, into every decision, into every situation, Lord. We pray your spirit would go before us, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, we would know your purposes at work in our lives. Would anyone say amen? I pray we would know your plans at work in our lives. Would anyone say amen? And I pray, Lord, we would know your promises at work and being worked out in our lives in this coming week. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Praise God. You can go back to your seats, guys. Praise God. Stand. 
Psalm 126 says this when the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem it was like a dream we were filled with laughter and we sang for joy and the other nations said what amazing things God has done for them yes the Lord has done amazing things for us what joy Restore our fortunes, O Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with their harvest. May you this week know songs of joy. May you know full hands. May you know the joy of the Lord being your strength in every way. In Jesus' name and God's people say, Amen. Praise God. God bless and keep you, brothers and sisters. We'll see you here again on Tuesday night and next Sunday morning. Tea and coffee being served upstairs in the atrium. Do hang out and do that most spiritual of all activities. Fellowship. Hanging out with other Christian believers. God bless and go with you.